podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Courtside Fracas. Those you listened to the pod on Sunday would have heard that. I mean, we talked about the strike boycott, whatever you like to call it, of the Milwaukee Bucks, um, and then subsequently a few other teams. Um, in the wake of the social justice issues that are still pervading the bubble and the NBA in general. Um, and if I'm honest, it didn't really feel right to just go straight from that into into the games on Sunday. So um, listen back to that. There was a really good discussion amongst us just about what people's expectations are, really, of players and, and what realistically is in their means um, to affect, to impact... Um, and to bring about change. So, good discussion on, on Sunday. Tonight, we are going to focus more on the court, more on the sport, um, and go through a few of the last two nights' events. So, we're going to start straight off, um, Moreo, Sai, with a, a topic that, how, how should we say this, um, divides the courtside fracker cast. Mm, that's putting uh, it mildly. Namely because it, <laughs> namely because it involves a, a man named uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, Brooke, sorry, Brooke. Um, <laughs> definitely not Brick. And um, yeah, uh, well, listen, it's been one of the, it was one of the most interesting series coming into it. Um, Oklahoma City Thunder versus Houston Rockets. Obviously, you have all the sort of side stories of, Chris Paul being traded for Russell Westbrook and then the whole Chris Paul, James Harden relationship, which didn't really end in any love loss. I, I love it. Oi, the, the, the visuals are killing me. The visuals are killing me at the free throw line. He that wanted to one rip of the his... Things I've ever seen. We're going to need to put an image of that on. Because they have to see it. They have to see it. I don't think people who haven't seen it quite realise how bizarre that is and how <laughs> vexed that man was in the moment. You know what, like, within itself, it was like, the clock. within itself, it was like, when the game did but you yeah, get opportunity? I mean, look, <laughs> within it, within just the, staring. Yeah, within just itself, staring. within itself, it's like, where in the game does he get an opportunity just to stare at him? And just be able to just stand and stare. And then when it zoomed out and they were at the free throw line, <laughs> he was like, yeah. And then the second image, James, James has carried on. Harden's yeah. carried on and Paul is just still locked in. Yeah. Um, mate, he enjoyed himself as we'll get into. There was a few little bum pats off, uh, I think it was Covington after after a jump shot over him. He was in his bag, Chris Paul. Dotted, so, it, dotted it in his eyes a couple of times, man. Listen, he had a night. Uh, it was one of the more interesting series, even without all the plot lines and the developments, because OKC have been um, a really good team to watch all year. Chris Paul's been a better fit there than a lot of people thought. The talk before was his contract is at Albatross, $40 million for a 35-year-old guy who is, is going to look awful in a year or at the time even. And he's, he's done really well. Um, they've got some interesting pieces there with Schroeder, with Che Gilgis Alexander. And it's made for a really interesting series. A lot of people did think the Rockets would walk it, if I'm honest. Um, maybe not walk, but a 4-2, you know. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't come up like that. So we're going to a game seven after OKC got 104 to 100 win over Houston last night. And without going too much into the, the whole game, I think the main story to come out of it is, is these three guys. and who handled what in the clutch and who didn't. And especially for us, after the conversation that was had prior in our group chat, which obviously no one else is privy to, but I imagine any Russ, whatever you want to call it, loyalist, acolyte, uh, fan club member. What was the word you used for it, Sai? Yeah, the Russ Vengers, man. They dig Russ it, they dig. <laughs> okay, I like that them. one. I like that one. Depending on how accurate they would have wanted to be, it could have been history repeating itself a little bit last night. Okay, yes, minutes restriction, quad injury, but that doesn't excuse some of the decisions and, and, and that. And then Harden, off he went, disappearing. And then Chris Paul, on the on the contrary, even you, Mario, as a massive Chris Paul guy, I think when the series was 3-1, I think, last week, um, I said, are they turning it around? And even you were just like, of course not. He's 35. It's, you know, it's tough. It's tough. And they have, and they've made it to the game seven. Um, just just numbers to start us off before you guys contribute, because I didn't watch this game. 
So it'll be interesting to see how it's seen on the floor. In the fourth quarter, James Harden, six points. One of four from three. Russell Westbrook, two of five from the field, four points. Two turnovers. One which obviously got the, the headlines of, of just being a really out of character missed time part. Chris Paul, five of seven from the field. Five of five in the last five minutes on the clock. 15 points. 100% from three. Three of three. 100% from the free throw line. Two of two. I mean, that's decided the game. No, it's a four-point game. That's the difference. They're your closers. Chris Paul's well within his rights to talk the talk that he talked at the end of the game about some guys are made for it and some guys aren't. Yeah, I think um, with OKC, they've done well in the clutch all season. They've, they've executed well. Their young guys have, have, have done well. Um, for me, because the game kind of went a bit up and down uh, throughout the first three quarters, I just watched the fourth quarter a couple of times. A uh, couple of minutes in, he, uh, Chris Paul dots a jumper on uh, Jeff Green and he says, they can't motherfucking guard me. And I guess that's, that's all that he went up to prove for the rest of the uh, rest of the quarter, to be honest with you. Um, people forget, but the Rockets were up six with four minutes and 16 left. And I just uh, made a note of uh, the next few plays. Uh, Harden step back three missed. Chris Paul three over Covington. Chris Paul three over Covington. A hardened turnover, which is also a Chris Paul steal. Westbrook makes a layup. Then Schroeder makes a layup. Westbrook airballs a jumper. Was Harden that the one he followed through for like yeah. five seconds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Westbrook air- airballed a jumper. Uh, um, Harden missed a three. Chris Paul got to the free throw line and made two out of two free throws. Uh, uh, Westbrook then had that turnover with seven seconds left. And then Danilo Gallinari got to the free throw line and made two out of two. And then, then we got the image of Chris Paul staring right into James Harden. So um, I said to Sai before this started, the Rockets are clearly more talented than OKC. They, they, they score, when they are scoring, they, they score with ease. Um, in fact, it was uh, Robert Covington who kept them in this fourth quarter. He made a, a two or three big, big buckets when OKC was starting to pull away. Um, it's, it's unforgivable, really, from, from James Harden. I mean, we've discussed um, since we started a group, and I mean, James Harden's been a topic of discussion these last five years in general, why he continues to fail to show up uh, in the playoffs when, it, when it's most needed. Uh, people say he's maybe not got the heart. I think we have to point fingers at how they choose to play. Um, he puts up great numbers, playing loads of minutes in the regular season. And I think what tends to happen is that by the time they get to the playoffs, still playing this live and die by, by Harden, getting to the line, making threes and setting up guys. He gets to the fourth quarter of a lot of these tighter games and he tightens up a bit. He tightens up a bit. It's, he will make these shots when you're not, you know, 10, 15 points up and it doesn't really matter if you miss because even if they do go back down the other end and score, you still got almost a double points lead. But when you're now making these misses and they're going up the other end and now they're ahead, he tightens up a bit. Um, Westbrook is coming back from an injury, but He's 30, 31 now, man. And you can't still be playing the same way that you played when you were in your early to mid-20s, even late 20s, where you're just head down, I'm going to get to the rim if I can, and if not, I'm going to get a free throw. It doesn't work, man. Like, for his for, for his turnover, he tried to run into the paint with three, four, three, four guys in there. And it's like, you're not going to get... Listen, you're not going to roll them over, mate. Like, take your time, survey the court, make some moves and actually make a good decision. Um, if they don't go through, I'll be shocked, to be honest with you, because I think they are the better team. But, I mean, OKC okay, so have got it here, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule them out, man. I think one of, one of the biggest takeaways for me is watching these guys over the course of the season. A lot of Rockets fans and the Russ Rangers especially really, really were convinced that this was going to be a new, a new lease of life for him as well as Harden. And the fact of the matter is, his old habits die hard. And as you mentioned, he's not, he's not 22, 23 years old anymore. He's, he's a veteran. Um, he's been through the trenches in, in the playoffs, had a lot of first-round exits, to be fair. So I don't know how much credence we put into that. 
Um, Almost as many as uh, as Jason Kidd, apparently. Off off the top, (laughs) off the top of my head, I don't know why that came to mind just then, but yeah. I I stay stay humble on that one. Um, But it's it's one of those things. It's like the Rockets have sort of they've 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 created this facade about themselves because of the D'Antoni aura of being an offensive genius and things like this. But if we really really break down their style of offense, it's very very stagnant and predictable. So throughout the course of the season, it's very ISO-oriented. It's always a kick out uh, from a dribble drive. You've got two of the highest usage players in the NBA, probably, if, if we were to look at it uh, statistically, probably in history in terms of usage rate. And by the time you get to the playoffs and you get to those crunch moments where that style of basketball should be prominent, teams know how to scheme against it. It's a whole different ball game if if you have variation in your offense, if you have guys coming off uh, down screens and you have multiple pick and roll actions, they don't have that. They feign a screen a lot of the time to force a switch and then it becomes dribble, 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 pull up or dribble, 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 drive and kick out or dribble and get to the line. It's, It's too stagnant, it's too predictable. And over the course of the playoffs, I think we'll see if they do progress that some of the better defensive teams in, in the league are going to be able to scheme scheme to make it. So it's James Harden and Westbrook forcing the issue for a 48 minutes and hoping for the best. Because none of the other guys are going to be able to get into any sort of consistent rhythm with this style of basketball. No reps. No reps. They haven't got any reps all season. You can't not give your guys reps. And then when the playoffs come, man, you need... We'll always have All teams will always have their main two guys. And we'll get onto the Bucks. Um, Bucks Miami game, but you always need that third guy or fourth guy or guy off the bench who just decides to have a hot game. And when they're barely getting an opportunity to do that during the regular season, it's not going to happen in the playoffs against the better teams, the better defenses, teams having two days to scheme against you to look at the mistakes they made and rectify those. So you're going to get found wanting. Um, I was going to ask you guys a question. Obviously, Hard, uh, Harden's played with Westbrook and he's played with Chris Paul. Who do you think was a better? Uh, co co conspirator for for James Harden. For me, on a personal note, it's got to be CP three. Just because what what I was sort of seeing out of them is they had two different styles of play. Well, they could they could vary it that little bit more than they have been with Westbrook. Um, as CP three has been showing at OKC, he is able to sort of play a bit more of a movement oriented game with some of the second unit guys. Um, obviously, when James is on the court with either of them, it does revert back to type, being iso ball. Um, but yeah, like Chris Paul staggering the minutes between him and him and Harden just worked that little bit better. You, you saw guys getting in more consistent rhythm. You saw guys hitting shots more consistently. And the shot quality was a lot higher as well. So at the minute, I'm just riding for CP3, even though... It hurts my soul. I love, I love to hear it, to be honest with you, because yeah. we, we've, we've had our wars. We've had our I, I, dis- wars. I disagree with you, though, Sai. Not so much. It's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it, the fit was just never there on a chemistry level, personal level. Harden clearly, like, uh, whatever you term you want to call it, but would have given a nudge that, yeah, I'd like Russ here. That's my guy. Yeah. And also, I, I, you say different styles of play. I've not been enjoying the Rockets for the last couple of years at all. Post-January, when they really lent on this whole Russ as a driving kick man and a wrecking ball and Harden doing the Harden show, I found them probably interesting and lively to watch for the first time in a long time. Um, and I think, I think Chris Paul's a great player even now. Obviously, historically, it goes without saying, but I just feel like it's one thing to say who was a better co-conspirator, better sort of foil. But if the fit wasn't there, it was never going to be there, right? And I think the uh, the stare now that we saw last night probably showed you that it was never going to... There would always be some barrier to it working, Chris Paul and James Harden. And also, to be honest, the best I think I remember seeing... I, I saw Chris Paul live against the Nets uh, two seasons ago, and it was probably the best I'd see him in a Rockets uniform. And it just so happened that Harden was injured that game. And so he just commanded the floor like it was a regular Chris Paul team. So I just feel like that never quite worked. And I feel like it was a trade that made sense. 
uh, and a move that made sense. But I feel like it came with risk. And this is kind of where I want to throw it back to you guys is that Harden last two years, uh, conference semifinals, conference finals, has had the Golden State excuse to an extent, right, in terms of the impact on his legacy. He's gone out to incredible teams. He's gone out to Steph. He's gone out to KD. He's gone out to the Golden State uh, dynasty before it just sort of fell apart, literally, injury-wise, last year. Um, and then Russ, obviously, has high-profile, whatever you want to call them, failings in the postseason. I feel like this move for both of them really was boom or bust, and especially Harden for all the Harden, passionate Harden fans. Like These scoring titles are just empty without uh, at least an NBA finals and really showing that, that style and that insistence of playing through you is going to work. So listen, we could be saying this and then they go and smash game seven. I think they held OKC to 80 in the game before this or, or the one before that. They could go smash game seven, go and have a great second round and, and get I think, to they, I think they will smash game seven, to be honest. But this is what I'm saying. But at the same time, it's like they need to. I, I, see, I see them going out in the first round this year as such a failing of the move for both of those guys reputations really um now they both have fans that will never let those reputations be tainted but i just look at them as, as someone who appreciates both players and doesn't really have a lot of skin in the game with it and i'll just be like really like the first round if you were to go out in the first round and not even first round if you were to go out four two in the second round to the lakers i'd be like really conference conference you know semi-final in, all, again? in order for this this whole move to be vindicated if you like they have to make the finals like that's that's just the pressure that they've bought into they got rid of a, good, day, a like, good big man in Clint Capella for this you know they, they they bought into it completely so you have to reap some sort of reward from it because immediately you you got rid of Clint Capella for Covington who's a good player but he, he was a good age he's what mid-20s mid-20s very very solid pick and roll big man solidly hold down the paint. So you've completely bought into this D'Antoni, Harden and Russ. We, we have to see something at the end of it better than what we had before because with, with Chris Paul, we, we talk about 2017 and if not for Chris Paul getting injured, they're probably going to those finals. And, and, and last year, um, uh, Chris Paul was past it by then, you know? So we have to see you at least do better than he did with Chris Paul, surely. Yeah. No complaints. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. But um yeah, let's get on to uh your boys, yes. Um well, people already in the second round, you know, which is what we really <laughs> wanted to discuss, but we had to let Chris Chris made us Chris Paul made us see made us just rewrite the That stare down, that stare down completely switched up our whole schedule for today. Um <laughs> So your Celtics uh, game one against the Raptors, you you come out with a with a win there. Um, I just want to get your thoughts. It's 112 to, to 94. So yeah, what were your? Yeah, I mean, I think, you, I think I mean, you've you... undersold it a little bit there. Yeah, uh, um, come out yeah. with a win. Come out with a resounding win. Yeah, um, oh, my apologies. My apologies. As as <laughs> by the way, as the clear second favorite, if we're going on consensus opinion, like even even amongst ourselves, and you see it online or whatever. Raps in six, raps in six, raps in seven. I mean, you're the only team that beat, has beat who beat them in the bubble, so you've definitely got. Yeah, the bubble with three one up on them in the regular season. So I think you've definitely got their number. So maybe you guys were just I a think, bit. I think the big thing about us, right, is we're a really good fundamental basketball team, and we've got um, pieces that when they work, they work really well, and we've got versatile players that can, and we have two or three guys that can go off and really change a game, and we're a good side. Where we struggle is against matchups that really kill us, which can be Embiid when he's bothering, um, can be Giannis, can be size. I could see LeBron and AD being a problem, for example. Um, but the Raptors haven't really got that. I think they're not an obvious mismatch against us. I think it's two teams who are really similar in terms of they are very scheme-focused. They... Uh, look for specific plays after timeouts. I think they um, react to the opposition really quickly and really well. Um, 
I think the two examples of that that you can see on both sides, in I think they're both characterised by their coaches, right? And they're real thinking coaches. So you've got Nick Nurse on, on one side who will change his defensive scheme just in a game three, four times. And me as a as a watcher trying to still learn the game sometimes have to just think, hold on, wait, what, what, what's happening now? And then Brad Stevens, who one of, the, one of our weaknesses coming into the year was um, we don't have a starting centre, right? So we have centre by committees, how some people have coined it, which is a nice name. You've got Ennis Cantor there, who is just a career rebounder, cool. Um, then you've got Daniel Tice, who's kind of a small, small ball five and can get involved in a lot of the play. And he's okay in mid-range and he's solid all round. I think really underrated player, to be honest, Tice. And then you've got Rob Williams, who's just all bounce, all dunks, all blocks. And I think um, the playoffs have really shown how we can go at those things from different angles. So Rob Williams came out against the Raptors and absolutely changed the game. He just added a dynamism that wasn't there. No one could keep up with him. He got lost a little bit. I don't know if he got a dunk on him and stuff, but he was just too hard for them to handle. Um, in between Ibaka and Gasol, they're both at the age now where they don't have the athleticism to really handle with Rob Williams. And then you had Tice v Gasol, which was a really interesting little European matchup there, really savvy, a lot of little niggly fouls and some good ball movement. And then Ennis Cannon just didn't touch the floor, whereas Ennis Cantor actually defended Embiid really well in the last round, but it's not, oh, he has to start now because he played well then, it's nice matchups. Um, but yeah, I think we, we did really well. Um, we had Siakam on lock. Siakam looked, Siakam, for someone who, I like Siakam, but for a most improved player, candidate, winner, etc., he looked so out of ideas, it was crazy. Um, whether his he was defensive game is, is still coming along a bit, I, it, but it, even his offense, like so, we did a really good job of um, just cutting out the transition. I think Raptors are the highest scoring team in transition. Lakers yeah, they are, are. They are. That's a big thing for them. And look, we just cut it out. And from then, they don't have real creators. Who have they got? They got Van Vliet. He's a spot up shooter, really. He you've got Lowry, who's crafty, but he's not a real, real. Playmaker, he's a great point, but I think Lowry gets too much shit. But um, and then their center Gasol's passed it a little bit as amazing as he was in the playoffs last year. I think still relying on him is a bit a bit of a stretch. And then you've got athletic guys who are Siakam and Nananobi, and Ibaka's not quite with it anymore. And then so when they're forced to really create, they didn't look mm. great. Siakam just tried to bully Brown, smart. Uh, and Tyson the post and didn't get much change out of any of them. Um, yeah. uh, Van Vliet went one of one of from three. Van Vliet went one of two of eleven. Now this is a problem. I think we'll get to what I'm worried about in the second game. But mm, yeah, he's not going to do that very often. Is but he? he shot poorly against us regularly. Um, okay. Kyle Lowry started showing a little bit of resistance, but we just locked them up, man. And for all the talk about the Raptors' defense. They're the best defense in the bubble. We're the second best defense in the bubble. So we're not um, miles off them anyway. And I think, if I'm honest, you look at who's going to win a game with 35 points. I'd say Tatum is the first option there. Kemba's probably the second option there. You could argue Siakam Lowry, but I would even argue Jalen Brown is, is third most likely on the floor in the form he's been in, in since in the bubble. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you lot know, I, without Haywood, I was a little bit hesitant about this one. And I thought, I thought with Haywood, we'd probably win it in six or seven. I thought without Haywood, we'd lose it in six or seven. And that wasn't because Haywood's amazing, but I think it's such a tight series that losing one of your main six pieces will do that. Um, but just perfect game plan, man. And we've got an early lead, smart hit shots, brown hit shots. And without that transition and with us being so locked in, they just couldn't really wrestle it back. To be fair, like this, this for me is like the purest uh, series because both teams just play outstanding team basketball on both sides of the, both sides of the floor. Um, as you mentioned, obviously Raptors are fantastic team in transition on offense, but credit to the Celtics, their transition defense is one of the best in the NBA as well. I think top ten, maybe sixth, something like that. Um, and there was a clear onus to focus on it as well last night. Precisely, and I, I think that's where that's where these these types of series sort of make you want to tune in, because as you mentioned, yeah, you've got guys on the Celtics who can go off 
for 35 on any given night. But also, as we, as we sort of saw, just getting 20 points from all of your, or three of your five starters is a way to win as well. So it, it does add a different dynamic. It's not star-focused basketball in the same way that some of the other series series are. Obviously, Celtics have the advantage in that regard. You do have certified perennial stars um, in Tatum and Brown. Siakam is, is that for the Raptors, but still there's a few question marks whether or not he'll be at that level that Tatum. But this is it. It's Siakam, he's never had to be the first option like this. Right? And so I think with the attention on Kawhi last year, Siakam was able to just explode. Whereas now, you, you like, I was quite surprised. Like, okay, I was like, Siakam, first option in the playoffs. And I like Siakam. And I was surprised by how little he really had going. Like, outside of, even when the post moves, the, just the little backup just weren't working. He just still went for it because it felt like he had nothing else. Yeah. I think they, they really did struggle to just get into any rhythm. Like, no one was hitting shots early and they never really recovered. Like, it's watching the game and by the fourth, by the fourth quarter, they were down by, what, 20? So it's like they they never really got within touch and distance. The flow of the game was just always, even if the Raptors hit a few shots, the Celtics will have an answer in two possessions. So it it really did take a bit of a turn for the worse for the Raptors. So I do expect it to be quite different in the in the following game. We yeah, also have to, to see how they how they come back. Well, I, I feel like this is a sort of series where they'll trade games, right? I feel like it will especially with the coaches. I feel like you'll do well to win two games in a row because the, the coaches are so meticulous that they'll just lock into something. And and even um, within the game, like we exploded in the first quarter. Second quarter, what Nick Nurse seemed to do was, it was zone-ish, but then he'd close right out at the top of the key as well. And Tatum in particular, like, so this is again where the Hayward issue comes in. We had, I think Brad Wanamaker played 28 minutes. Semi Ojale played 22 minutes. Now that's about 12 minutes too long for Wanamaker in a playoff game and 21 <laughs> too long for Ojale in a playoff game. Um, and there was a, Tatum, it seems to be the guy on the floor with them a lot. And there was, um, when they went to that little zone, but really, really locked onto people when they, when they approached the paint, Tatum was the guy who was handling the ball. He didn't look comfortable at all. Um, and they could double team him because who, who's he passing to? Like, he ain't, ain't going to bank. Um, Tatum, despite not having really a great game, still the stat sheet was strong, you know, finished on 21 points. Um, nine of 18 from the field. Like, didn't get to the line much, but yeah, like, solid stat sheet. But that's, that's one of our X factors that he could really, really go off a lot more. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, the second game will be interesting. Where I'm concerned is... I just don't see Van Vliet and Lowry being that quiet again. Um, yeah, but if we can get the second, because I think it will be so much about trading games, I think a two-goal lead doesn't get caught. I really do. Um, two-goal, two-game. Um, because I just see it being so tight. And so if we can, it's later tonight, if we can get the second game tonight, then I'm, I'm buzzing because... Yeah, because people wrote us off, weirdly, man. Like you say, we have the best scorers on the court. Yeah, the Raptors are very, very good. But we're quietly very, very good. And I don't know if it's partly last year, especially against Milwaukee, went up a game and then got battered. I don't know if that's still fresh in people's memories. Um, but Jalen Brown doesn't get nearly enough credit uh, throughout the league for how efficient he is. Um, Jason Tatum is now a reliable match winner like he is a go-to he's the first option it's not even a question and then I was worried about Kemba in the playoffs just because of size defensively what's he doing you'd argue Raptors is probably the best series for him because okay Lowry really good um, defender quick hands takes charges good positionally but if you want Kemba being guarded by anyone it's probably Van Vliet Lowry someone of that stature as opposed to a Ben Simmons, which is what I was half worried about, or Josh Richardson, who's another six, seven inches on him. So, um, nah, listen, I'm co- I'm confident after last night. I don't think we'll necessarily just walk it. I think that's that's going too far. But um, but no, nah, really good series. Like, it, like the game was amazing. It started quite slow. People were feeling each other out, but then it exploded. Um, 
And yeah, I'm fascinated to see just how everyone comes out tonight. I wouldn't be surprised to see a complete flip um, after Nick Nurse goes through all the film. And I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's good. I've got a question for you two though, in terms of, I think all of our shouts was Raptors and everything I see on Twitter is Raptors. Why do you think the Celtics have been slept on in this series? No, I just feel like you've just kind of gone under the radar this season in general. Like you're, you're, yeah, I just feel like you've kind of gone under. Obviously, Tatum's had a kind of his his breakout season in terms of becoming an All Star, really showing that he can be that first option. But the NBA is a very much a narrative driven league, and the narrative this year has been like they won the title and they lost their best player, but mm. they've still been able to rally and be the second best team in the East and Nick Nurse obviously deservedly won coach of the year. So I think they've just kind of got the narrative behind them. Yeah. And you know how you know how the NBA goes. Once once the team's got that narrative, everybody kind of forgets what is actually maybe the fact. Probably you need to go and listen to somebody like a Zach Lowe or somebody like that who really gets into the X and O's and will be like, actually, no, it's not just gonna be the 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 Raptors to run away with it. These two teams are actually quite evenly matched. But you you know how it goes, man. The, the, the American commentators so, yeah, I think that, like with someone like Siakam, um, he's got a big contract, but I think even as a player, he's still developing and still growing. Like His jumper's not something he trusts. And the game, when that jumper kind of fails early, he kind of stops trying to shoot it, like you would have probably seen the, the other night. And he keeps trying to go to the, to the basket. And you guys have got good defenders, man. You've got good defenders, good size. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be a really interesting series. I like both teams. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it's more of a case of, like I, I picked Raptors in seven, I believe. Um, and that's mainly because I feel like it will be a tight series because they're so similar in their approach to the game. It's just experience is going to be a massive thing. Um, Tatum has to be the X factor in order for it to be sustained over the course of the series for me personally. But... Mm. On the flip side, I feel like team basketball can turn any series either way. So I sort of expect the Raptors to just come out all guns blazing and really like apply the pressure to the Celtics. Um, but even even if the Celtics go two up, like again, the Raptors have been in that situation just last season. So again, I I, I genuinely believe that the Raptors have enough to go all the way this year. Um, and until proven otherwise, which one game doesn't do, they'll be my favourites in the East. You know no, what? I don't think, yeah. I don't think Just... they have the best... I think basketball for me is always... Team basketball, I'm with you on that, I agree completely, but basketball for me is always going to be a strongest linked sport and you're always going to be as good as your best player and Siakam is not the best player on a title. If you, look at, if you look at how they won last year, but also just looking at what the brother is doing now in LA. Like that Mavs series yeah, could have easily got away from the Clippers at points, right? And then Kawhi just did not allow that. And that's, that's where I, I, I was, I thought the Raptors could come out of the East as well, um, quite, quite handily. But just seeing them up close last night and really sitting and just watching what they were trying to make happen, that it's going to need a complete transformation in what they do in the half court because. Just again, it's just like I don't see who's unpicking a door or who's taking over a game unless Van Vliet just has a night where he's nuclear and he just goes off. But even then, how sustainable is that four times out of seven? You know, Raptors do have a slight handicap though. They didn't. They didn't have a competitive series at all. Like they dealt with one. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. They dealt with us. They dealt with us very, very handily and. Obviously, for me, one of the key things is how they played Levert. They just basically funneled everything through him and basically forced him to try and beat them. And the Celtics do have a few more pieces to to sort of uh, scheme for. But even 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 watching that game, if they hit the if they hit their shots, it would have been a totally different match. A lot closer, yeah. One quick one, last word on that, because a lot of people were saying, "Oh, if they hit their shots." Uh, Lots of open jumpers that they that they missed. They, listen, there was some, but what I do want to say is the defense was good. We lead the league in opponent three point percentage, so whatever it is we're doing seems to have an impact on people shooting at the perimeter. 
So we run out real aggressive. That's 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 yeah, one of the and, and and I'm gonna put it all down to Marcus Smart because I love him and I trust him. All yeah. But yeah, he's the G. That's this is the other thing. I think we've got the best on board defender in the series. I think we've got the best two, three offensive players in the series. If we lose this series, Nick Nurse needs another award. So I'll make one up. I don't know. Because he will have, he will have made the absolute most of, of, of it, especially going one down in the manner he did, because he's going to have to really rethink. It's, it's fascinating what happens. Um, I mean, this is the thing. The, East, the Eastern Conference gets a lot of... Um, it's the ugly conference, right? It's, uh, it's the ugly cousin. And the West has the glamour and the West has LA and the West has stars and people want to live there because it's warm and everything like that. But uh, maybe it's my East bias, but I swear this series and what we're going to move on to now, there's not a series I'm more interested in in the second round. No way. Um, I think Rockets-Lakers, if it comes to that, would be a very interesting one just because of how polarised they are. And I think uh, Clippers, whoever comes out against Clippers, it'll be good. Uh, whether it's Jazz or Nuggets, I think it would be good. But honestly, Miami, Milwaukee, as well as Boston, Toronto, I just think are the most interesting series out of the out of the second round. I think Toronto and Boston, because of how similar they are in terms of being team focused, defense focused. Miami and Milwaukee, similarly, like you watched it, and anyone listening who's not a full game watcher, I, I'd say go watch it. Like yeah. it was, it was rapid. Um, you had all sorts of variety of points. You had Butler get into the line. You had Dragic just with these little off the off the backboard little the bags. angles that he works for his layups, man. Man, and then you had and you had threes obviously from both teams because it's a drive and kick ex- exhibition. Um, but yeah, man, it was they played hard. It was rapid, um, and to be honest, I thought I was surprised that so many of us went Miami on the. On the Twitter, I thought I was all unique and edgy thinking that and just biased because I've watched them so much this year and I like them. But they showed everybody what they're about, man. Like, even, okay, game one caveat, but Mario, they were naughty. I think um, from the Magic series, and we discussed it, I think, a couple of Sunday pubs ago, there is a blueprint to beating uh, the Bucs. Uh, Magic showed it in game one of their series, but we, we all said that. Toronto and Miami are probably t- two teams that the Bucs don't want to see. You need to have that paint presence. You need to have those bodies to throw at Giannis. And then you need to have shooters who can then punish them because the Bucs defensively are going to surrender the perimeter and stop you from getting easy buckets in the paint. Funnily enough, that isn't necessarily how Miami beat them yesterday, but Miami do have that blueprint to beat them. So, as you mentioned, Dragic, Dragic was getting to the, get into the paint as easy as anyone I've seen play against them in the last two years, probably. In the last two years, probably. Butler was... This is what I'd say, right? Is you had the best three-point shooting team in the league, or maybe their second, I think, but best in real terms. In most, their, most a good team. I think. And then, yeah, and then you had the Bucks who give up the most frees because they're just diehard on protecting the paint. Now, listen, Mike Budenhauser is not stupid. He's not just going to let you shoot off. So I was interested at how Milwaukee were caught in between those two things, right? Like they had some really smart reads where they knew where the kick out was going and they got onto it for a few turnovers, but they were caught in between. And I think that's probably what allowed Dragic in. And I haven't seen them surrender the paint that much as well, whether it be Butler getting to the line or Dragic getting in for the layups, because they know they can't stick to what they've stuck to for two years, two and a half years. Because if they do, it's just open season. And you've got Duncan Robinson, who's, I think, the most efficient three-point shooter this season. You've got, you got uh, Tyler, Hero. Tyler Hero, who's come out his rookie year smacking him. A rational confidence guy. You need every title winning team needs Listen, one. Listen, Jay Crowder, not bad from three. You've got Dragic, good from three. Uh, and then even Jimmy's hitting him. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy made both of his three... Jimmy made both of his frees yesterday. The, the maddest thing is, yeah, even stats-wise, um, the Bucs were almost 50% from the field and they were over 40% from free. The line, they were about 50% from the line. Giannis, Giannis, like, he got 18 and 10. It was an efficient 18 and 10 um, in terms of the field and from the free three-point line. But 
he's going to the line and he's he's fumbling it, man. He's fumbling it. They defended him. Re- they defended Four out him. of twelve. Yeah, they defended him really bad. well. But this is thirty-three percent. <laughs> you know, he gave us the numbers and we didn't react, so then he gave us the percentage. <laughs> Four out of twelve. <laughs> So um, obviously we talked. To, so Giannis wasn't at, wasn't at his best yesterday. They made it difficult for him. Chris Middleton, I've spoken about him. Is he a good enough number two option? Can they win everything? He actually had a good game. He scored twenty five points and he did it efficiently. And they lost. So if Giannis gets closer to his season average, if, I don't think he has four or five of those in these series. I don't think he has four or five twenty five point games against this Miami Heat team. The only thing that you. But that's because they. Someone said they got bodies, bro. Bam Vianis is a battle. Fascinating. Nigeria's finest sons. Yeah. <laughs> That's his best defender. I think um, the thing you could have said with Middleton is that of those 25, the majority came in, the vast majority came in the first in the first half, I think 21 of them. What they did, because obviously Bledsoe didn't play because he's injured, they honed in on Janis when they were both on the court. But then when Janis sat out, they honed in on Middleton. And when he got that extra attention from the defence, he wasn't able to make any shots. So um, I think they need Bledsoe back. And it's a scary place to be that you need Bledsoe back for you to... For you to... One of the reasons for that, one of the yeah. reasons for that defensively is... Defensively as well. Yeah, defensively was the main, was the main point, to be fair. Um, both teams, both teams approached the game on the defensive end really, really similarly. They both surrendered a three, protect the paint. Yeah. Um, Obviously, one does it the best. The yeah. other one does it substantially worse, I guess, but still very proficiently. Mm. Um, one of the things I noticed is they, they started to force, especially in the fourth quarter, they started to force uh, Grant Hill to, or George Hill, George Hill to... Um, Shout out Grant Hill, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally different, totally different stature of player. Yeah. Um, they started to force George Hill to guard uh, Butler on the switch which mm. is never going to work Just absolutely bullied him, barbecue chicken all of it and um, that, that is a worrying sign for the Bucks because as, as I said before like there is a blueprint to beating them you just have to stifle Giannis you have to cut down how many points they score in the paint and let someone else beat you from three and as, as, as you mentioned Middleton had a good game but just wasn't enough because you need Yanis's production. You need his gravity, if you will. You need all of those things over the course of not only a game, but a series. And from watching him, I feel like as good as he is and as, as talented and as aggressive he, as he is, you can throw him off what he wants to do. Mm. Um, do you think he's learned any lessons or improved since last year's playoffs? Obviously, the Magic isn't the best series to to judge that on, but this is essentially what the Raptors did. They they, they almost went three three yeah. zero up, but then when you watch those last um, four games, they just closed off. They just closed off the paint, and he he struggled. He struggled badly. I think one of one of his key improvements is his willingness to shoot from from deep. I think. A lot gets made about his shooting form and all of that stuff. And even some people mention the efficiency, but he has improved from three. Like there's no two ways about it. Mm. It's just teams are willing to give him that because as as he shoots more of those, if he shoots 11, he might make four. Mm. Like but then you'll, play, you'll, play the, you'll play the numbers game, won't you? Of course. So you've, got a, you've got to just, he has to just commit to it because it's the only way that people are going to, honour it and, and, and defend it and, and be proactive to it. It's not a Ben Simmons situation where there is just no threat, right? So he, two or five last night is something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if he can just open up something a little bit, the problem for the Bucks is that stuff develops over seasons and we see that it's year-on-year leaps, really, that stuff. It doesn't really come within a series or within a, a playoffs. And as well as the spotlight being on Giannis, they are getting scarily close to his contract situation becoming the dominant headline of their entire next season. Um, so I think he, I th- when, when's he a free agent? Next, it's next summer, isn't it? Next summer. And it's like, if they, if they just wilt her out second round again, like he seems to enjoy the city. Obviously, he's developed there. He's very much a Milwaukee guy. But listen, 
if they were out second round again, I wonder how much that will put the pressure on them as a franchise this year if they were to go two down or if they were to go two one down. Just at all if two one down. Like what how how clear ahead will they deal with it? I don't know, man. And then Yanis as well is someone someone on Twitter's asked for us to put the spotlight on him. It's like he needs to just dominate. He's the MVP, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year. He should be the best player on the floor every night. And if he is not, he is not living up to the expectations that he's set for himself. Mm. You can't have Jimmy Butler come and just fuck your night up like that. And let, not let, let's, let's talk about Jimmy. Let's talk about Jimmy. Let's give him some credit here. Let's, let, it's not just Yanis bottling it. Jimmy had a hell of a game, man. Jimmy had Ooh, a hell of a game. Listen, we're talking about in the chat, we're talking about Philly and uh, Embiid seemed to be pining for him last night via, via Twitter. Wow. Um, this is, but hold on. <laughs> Listen, I'm going back to the old pod. This is why I can't have that Embiid guy in my franchise, bro. We all know it. You don't have to tweet about it. What's wrong with you, bro? We all know that they fucked up. We all know. But we, bro, I'll tell you, Mario, first podcast, I couldn't wait to put that out there when I had Philly as one of my teams to profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I even talked about Jimmy Butler because it was our season, but it was such a bad decision. The only thing is, oh, oh is he 31 now? So he was 30 then. But it's mm. like, bro, you have a man carry you. Well, okay, carry is strong, but mm. he was a massive part of what they did in the playoffs last year. You don't year. want to get into that like, argument about carrying backbone. Got And then they give a contract to Tobias. Yeah. Tobias Harris, bruv. Max yeah. player. No. Mm. And yeah, and then again, that's just mismanagement of it says where Philly were really. Like him and Brett Brown had their clashes in terms of Brett Brown, the fallen Brett Brown not uh, being able to manage manage the roster, manage the options. You had JJ Reddick needing shots, Tobias Harris needing shots, Jimmy Butler needing hot shots, Ben Simmons needing his handheld. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like that is Philly's loss and Miami's gain. Jimmy Butler last night, 13 of 20 from the field, 65%. Got both his threes and he's historically not a good three-point shooter. Got to the line 13 times. He's been so good at getting to the line this year. That's like Embiid numbers, 13 times. You can't hack him. Mm. Um, and 92% from the line. But also, just yeah, two steals, four rebounds, a block, two assists, just everywhere, man. Just he does everywhere. all the little stuff, and he made the big plays as well, man. So he, 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 was, he was doing everything. There. Him, and, him and Dradic together were just too much for the Bucks, man. And if he's going to play like that, and it's not the first time we've seen him put a team on his back in the playoffs. It's going to be a lot for the Bucs to deal with. It's going to be a lot for them to deal with, man. I'm going to be interested to see what they try and throw at him in game two because he's, he's up for it, man. Also on Jimmy, it's like, what you lose... We, we talked about it with, um, who would you rather, Paul George or Jimmy Butler, right? Mm. And Paul George is a better basketball player. Right? I don't, like, he's a more skilled player. He can do more with the ball. He has more moves. Like, it's a more, and, they're, and he's a, they're probably... I'd see them as relatively equal on defense. I think Jimmy Butler is a brilliant defender. But Jimmy Butler's twice the man. <laughs> Bro, yeah. like, what you lose in him to a franchise, like, already straight away when he joined Miami, people were saying, oh, it's a holiday for him. All those Sixers tweets came out after he progressed and they didn't. Tyler Harrell, he immediately took under his wing, apparently. You wonder what sort of impact he's having on the other, other guys there, like... Duncan Robinson, young player with it all to prove. Jay Crowder, a guy who, from the Celtics' time, clearly responds really, really well to that sort of in-your-face atmosphere, uh, making things hard. Dragic is a vet. Jimmy is a vet. They will know each other, real, recognise, real. They'll respect each other's game. You've got Kendrick Nunn, another guard who, similarly to Jimmy Butler in a way, probably gets dismissed for a lot of his abilities early on. But... He's coming to this series again. What he, he was unseen in the first round, essentially, and now he's coming 16 minutes because they know how important his defense will be and his hustle will be. I guarantee you, unbeknownst to us, the impact that Jimmy Butler is having on the Miami Heat goes way beyond the floor. I was waiting for you to mention one one player. Sorry to interject there, sir. Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo is an absolute psychopath. 
and he wants it so bad, yeah? And him and Jimmy coming together, the thing is, obviously, it comes... This is what I was talking about organisations yesterday. It comes from the top. It comes from Pat Riley. And mm. what he instils within the Heat organisation, that goes to Spo, and that filters all the way down to the players. So anyone who thought that he was coming to Miami to have a jollier must be mistaken, and they haven't been watching basketball for the last 10, 20 years, because that's not how they do things. That's not how they do things in Miami. And also, it's not how Jimmy Butler does things. If you, yeah. if you look at all of his fallouts, Bulls, Timberwolves, Philly, it's because they're not doing enough, a lot mm. of them. So... Butler's, Butler, for me, is becoming that guy who is the benchmark to gauge what a character of a, of a, of a squad is. Mm. I'm pretty sure you could plug and play him in any team at this point, and he would tip them as a title contender if they got into those situations. But it would all be determined on whether or not the guys around him, either the alpha that's there or the guys underneath him, are really up for it. And if they really have that thirst and that hunger to win. Because realistically, that, that Philadelphia situation should have been great for everybody. But you've got guys like Ben Simmons, who have basically been under the tutelage of someone like LeBron James, who needs to be liked at all times and needs to have that sort of uh, camaraderie and be the most popular guy in the room. Jimmy's not that. Jimmy's mm. all about the graft and all about the grind. I don't mind if you hate me as long as we're, in the, we're going in the same direction and we both want to win. I think they mentioned during the game, Janice's missus and his kid were there. And he was, so they, they're allowing like family members to come. And they're like, Jimmy Butler's like, listen, this is business. No disrespect to anyone who wants their family around. But listen, it's been 50 days, another two months on that. Oh, all right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's just happy that he doesn't have to shower and shave, isn't it? That's exactly, what... exactly. So, yeah, they're going to be a tough, tough matchup for, for Milwaukee. And, um, I mean, we said it already. We've said you, it on You touched on Bam there. You touched on, touch on Bam, Mario. He's 16, 10, and 5 this year. Um, Stellar defense. Yes, and he's just a joke. Like he he's giving Giannis more than a match. Um, he's just so. Like, you talk about plug and play guys, right? Whether you have him at five or four or whatever, like he's another guy who he. I feel like he just make every team better. You put him in any team and he'll make them better. I feel like. Um, listen, I'm well documented on just loving this Heat team. I was so surprised by. How they were, my missus is a very casual basketball uh, onlooker from what I watch. And then I was talking to her about the heat or something, and she's like, I thought they were shit. And I was like, No, that was last year. And she goes, How can they be so much better in a year? And I was just like, I know, that's the point. <laughs> they have been amazing. And they've been, it's not just that, it's just they're good to watch, bro. Like I say, I will reiterate if you're neutral or getting into the sport, I think it was, it's just a frenetic game. Good game to watch. A lot of hard work. Really good pace. A lot of big shots. A lot of skill on show. Um, and I think the, the Heat are who made it that. I think they were the ones who added the urgency, added the pace. Um, and, yeah, I I don't know where the series is going to go. I think it could go quite deep as well. But, I see, yeah, I see them coming out of it. I see, I see the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, which is a bit mad, to be honest. Like, mm. Considering where they were a year ago. Spoh's one of the best coaches in the league and, and, and what he did with um uh what he did with Miami with LeBron and them guys was obviously impressive. But I forget um it's the year when they had Dion Waiters and he, he got them into the playoffs. Um that was probably his, his best coaching job, but this is probably up there with that as well. You've got Hero and you've got Duncan Robinson. They're probably gonna win you a game or two with their shooting. They went four of ten last um they went four of ten in the game against the Bucks. They're going to probably win your game with their shooting as well. So they're going to be a very, very, very tough matchup for the Bucks. Giannis is going to have to be at his absolute best. He's going to need Middleton to play out of his mind, probably better than we've seen Middleton play in the playoffs. And they're going to need Bledsoe to come back to be somebody who makes plays offensively, but also for his perimeter defence. He will always endeavour to stay in front of his man, no matter how, how quick that player is. And you need that kind of body to make Dragic work, because otherwise, he's just going to keep dicing up your defence. So, yeah, let, let's get yeah, back and let's see. Last that, word on Yanis. Sight, I mean, for all of the bronze sexuals, I don't want to pander to them too much, right? But you look at that Lakers roster and you see a 34-year-old Rondo with half 
his legs left. You got McGee. You got okay, not here, but um, Dwight Howard passed his best. Alex Caruso, solid little player. Danny Green finished. Um, that's not a good roster, but he has LeBron has made that team perform to the level it has. Right now, I like Giannis. I think he's a freak. I think he's a phenom. I think he can do stuff that people in the league can't do. Great, cool. But what does it say about him that he has this system built around him and his abilities? A good coach as well. Good knows he's a good coach. A, a, a decent supporting cast. Okay, yeah, cool. You can say, ah, oh, Middleton, Bledsoe. I get it. But just look at over in LA. That's, that's the comparison, right? What does it say about him if they do falter again to get out of the East because they've been the number one seed I think two of the last three years I think Toronto got it the year prior but they were up there um, what does it say about him? I think he's still just going through his, his, his development it, it says that he's a seven foot Russell Westbrook that's what it says <laughs> that's what it says like, I find it, I find it like really, really ironic that that clip of Harden saying, "Ah, oh, if I was seven foot and I could just dribble and dunk on people, like I'd be, I'd be great, I'd be blessed, blah blah blah." But I had to learn skill. Same applies for someone like Westbrook. The only difference being Westbrook's not seven foot, um, and I would argue that Giannis probably has better decision making than Westbrook as well. But um, jokes aside. It, it will say a lot about the construction of the team more so than Yanis's ability because the guy the guy has a has a has a sort of body and a skill set that tailors him towards a particular style of basketball. Mm. But because of the supporting cast that he has, he is being forced into positions where he has to do slightly more. Um, he doesn't have a superstar point guard. He doesn't really have a superstar beside him, period. Mm. So would you say that would be that would be the difference? It would be like a point guard to just run more pick and roll, run more pick and pops. Well, if, if that three ever gets anywhere, really. Just as opposed to just him being the drive, it's starting with him, him being the decoy, and then everybody else benefiting. Would you what do you think it looked like if it's what bled so for Chris Paul? Probably wouldn't have chipped, to be honest, at this point. Um pretty much because of the the understanding of how to get the best out of other guys. Um, I think it's a big, it's a big ask. Obviously, I, I remember Jason Kidd put the ball in his hands as soon as he went over to Milwaukee and started to develop that sort of playmaking aspect of his game. And I feel like as much of it as, as it's benefited him, it's also hindered the way that they're approaching him. I think to only have one primary ball handler who is the guy that needs to get into the paint and score the majority mm. of your points as well is it's a lot. It's a lot to ask. It just gives teams the ability to cheat. Um, Middleton did a pretty good job of ball handling in aspects and playing ISO ball a little bit, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. If you had a butler next to him, either, <laughs> there would be a better team. Thanks. You're probably look. You're probably looking at Bledsoe like you need to be doing more as a point guard. You need to be doing more. Do they do they turn around and regret maybe keeping Bledsoe and getting rid of rid of Brogdon? One hundred percent, without a shadow of a doubt. That was a botched move from the offset. Mm. That was restricted free agency as well, right? That wasn't even. So that was twenty five million for a. But then I think he had his injury issues. They might have that might have played a factor and stuff, but probably. Probably. Yeah, another strange one. So, I don't know. I think this is another one where I think you look at um, Houston, OKC, and I think whereas that one could put either solidify the legacy or put a nail in the coffin of the legacy of two guys, I think this one, the the if they just get bounced, that like embarrassing, like a 4-1 to Miami, who no one even really tipped anything coming into the playoffs. This could like impact the league for the next three, four years. Because if it does force Giannis or, or even Milwaukee to just do something and be like, nah, you know what? This, nah, we're just getting rid of Middleton, Bledsoe, whatever package we can throw, 
um, we're, make, we're putting someone with him. Um, it's an interesting one because, yeah, I just, for some, I just, I, I thought they could come out of the ECC here, but they're just missing something. Um, yeah, definitely. It's just not there. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think there's a, there's far reaching consequences for this one. Um, less so Toronto and Celtics. I think they're kind of stuck with what they've got at the moment. I don't see any massive, massive moves coming from either of those. But um, two massively interesting series, man. Um, based on what you two have seen in the first game, obviously game one can be a real outlier. Um, have your shouts changed at all? Or are you just like, nah, it's still going to be really, really tight. Probably Toronto, probably my... Well, you said Milwaukee, uh, Morel. I did. I just said it more because everybody else said uh, Miami <laughs> and I just wanted one of us to back Milwaukee. I wouldn't be surprised if they... Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they won it in seven. But it's, it's going to be a tough ask. I didn't say anything about, did I vote on Raptors Celtics? I can't remember. But I would probably, and this isn't just because of game one, I would probably lean towards the Celtics just because I think they have the probably the better offensive playmakers. You're talking about two good defensive teams, very good defensive teams. And it, then you're looking at the other end. And listen, the Raptors have struggled all season on the offensive end. Their, their offense is middling. Um, and yeah, game, game one demonstrated that. They, they've got the quality to win a couple of games. Uh, maybe three, but across a, a seven-game series, I'd, I'd go towards towards Boston. So I say Boston in the box for me. Those are my picks. Yeah, yeah. sticking uh, Miami in five, six, <laughs> six. I'd say uh, a repeat. No, no, actually, I, I did say five. I'm I'm sticking by five. I think they can um, do. If it's five, Yanis is gone. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> That, that's, that, that is genuinely how I feel. I feel like they could embarrass me. I, I see um, it. I see it, definitely. The blueprint is there. They've got everything, everything you need to make this a short series. And if, if, if the Miami Heat do make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and they somehow make it to the finals, they're problems for anybody. Well, hold on, this is the thing. Again, like, Celtics, I think, have lost, we were lost one game in the bubble. It was to Miami. Mm. Look, we've been outworked by one team in the bubble. It was Miami. If we do get past Toronto, I don't want to see Giannis because we have no answer for him. But we don't play Miami great either. So it's, it's plausible. Miami is the only team I can see giving Kawhi's mid-range any sort of problem. It's the only team. Literally the only team because they're 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 one of the only teams that haven't just resorted to playing zone defense at every given opportunity. Mm. Um, and Kawhi is just going to feast if people keep playing them the way that they that they have been. I know I'm deviating a little bit, but when yeah. I look at matchups, like I like Jimmy Butler in that situation with Kawhi. Like we've seen it before, and I feel like he's well suited to slowing him down or making him be a bit less de- decisive than he has been. They can throw um, bodies. They can throw crowd at him. They can throw Igudala, the, the, the bones of Igudala at him as well. So, yeah, man, definitely. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the last word of Miami as well. Hold on. But that's the, you, you mentioned Iggy, right? You look at their roster. You've got Jimmy in free agency. You've got Bam. When was Bam, when, when was Bam drafted? This is Bam's something? third season. But where was he, where was he drafted? 20-something? I feel like maybe your fifty between that fifteen to twenty five range in, in my and head. And then you got Jay Crowder, who started the year at Memphis buyout. Duncan Robinson, I think, if not late second round, was undrafted. Okay, Tyler Hero is a lottery pick. You got Kendrick Nunn again, second rounder. Like yeah. Kelly Olenek, like mm. who again just contributes and he looks solid. Um, and then Andre, again, Memphis, who just was a pickup because he was sitting on his ass because quite uncharacteristically, he was just like, yeah, I'm not playing for these lot. Um, Which is funny with the season they have. Does he make that difference and get them in the playoffs? Andre, well, man. This is the thing. I've, I was Andre, not to but I remember thinking, come on, bro, you've got, you got three good young players here. But anyway, um, bro, that's the other thing about Miami is like why it's such a good story is their roster is on paper nothing. And they're just one of the most competitive, hard to beat, hard to keep out teams. Um, 
so yeah, I think that's that's just another thing of the moves that can be made late, like what Crowder, Iguodala, take them out of this roster, and are they here? Uh, well, here, yeah, because Indiana weren't doing nothing, but are they in the next round? No. In, are they in the next round with them? Potentially. And even that, it's like, it just shows the value of, of those late season moves, man. Um, so, so yeah, big, like, they, they are... Uh, Top class organisation, man. Yeah, man. Just, uh, I love the playoffs, man. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Basketball, top quality basketball every night, man. But yeah, listen, uh, we've got two of the most interesting series in the East. The West is not even starting the second round yet. Really interesting to see how that goes. Game seven tonight as well, Nuggets, Jazz. Just that series has been... I remember Disu cussed the knee for getting drawn that series. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Good <laughs> the players there, Disu. And it's yeah. just been a joke. Like the stat lines coming out of that for Murray and Mitchell is a joke. So listen... This has been good, but there's plenty more to discuss, plenty more series to to keep an eye on, um, plenty more stories, plenty more people to win and lose series. And, um, yeah, until Sunday, until next week, we'll see what develops in the next few games. Peace. Nice one, boys. Peace. In a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.